Welcome back, Literary Slummers, to another episode of Shelf Aware, the podcast where we read books outside of our comfort zone. I'm Em. And I'm Anna. This week on Shelf Aware, we are reading the second book in a unit of my choosing, uh, which is a weird one. We haven't really fallen on like a succinct descriptor for it. No, but we haven't. I ca- I'm very fond of the one where the royal falls in love with the dum-dum. Mm-hmm. Um, and... <laughs> This is the second book in the unit. So we're reading like a kind of a quintessential example of this trope. And M found this book, Just Ella, a YA retelling of Cinderella by Margaret Peterson Haddix of Among the Hidden Fame, I believe. Yes. As well as that one about time travel, except it wasn't really. It was like, do you remember this book? I, remember I we think we talked about it on another episode, to be honest. <laughs> Hidden in time? Something in time. I'm going to have to cut this because I don't know what I'm talking Wrinkle about. Wrinkle so. in time. Wrinkle in time, yes. That's it. That's you it. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> and it, I don't it, like. It makes sense knowing that she wrote Among the Hidden because mm-hmm. I felt like reading this book, I was like, this feels like a dystopian version of being a royal. Like, it just had this yeah. very bleak Mm-hmm. vibe to it i love it <laughs> i was not here for <laughs> oh um but also in these middle episodes of the unit uh we like to do a little bit of a history lesson on the Ooh. genre or the trope or the whatever um and today M is coming at us with some knowledge sort of sort so- of <laughs> The trope of the royal marrying a non-royal person, or as Anna likes to say, a (laughs) dum-dum. This has a long history in literature. Uh, The most prominent example, and where I was kind of going with the book that we read this week, is in folklore, uh, like Cinderella, right? So, like, the idea of the hero of the story ends up getting to marry the prince or the princess as kind of the reward for their trials and tribulations, whatever those might be. Cinderella is like a really big example of this and all of the various Cinderella variants. Mm -hmm. Um, You've got like, oh, what's it called? Like Penta or like the girl with no hands is another one, which actually falls more into kind of what bothers you about it. Because we talked about this last, last time that, the thing you don't like isn't so much the idea of just a royal person marrying a regular person, but yeah. a royal person marrying someone and then that person not really fitting in at the court and like not having the expertise needed to engage in the political yes. intrigue, right? Yeah. And obviously the political intrigue angle doesn't really come up too much in folk tales, but there are a few where there's more of the uh, in-between part where it's like they get married towards the beginning and then the stuff at court is... Uh, what makes up the bulk of usually there's like an evil mother or something trying to yeah. discredit the wife, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So you've got the folk tales, right? But an earlier example that sort of more fits the specific thing you're talking about is actually a biblical one with um, Esther from the Bible, right? So a uh-huh. little bit of a possible historical aspect here, like was Esther a real historical figure, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, my God. But in any I was case, just hit with, like, the strongest childhood memory that was locked away, where I had a picture book of the story of Esther, but everyone was cows. Oh, my. Everyone was cows. I cannot imagine. I, that's all I remember. I don't remember the story of that. Esther at all. I do remember 
depicted as cows, though. Well, for a brief refresher, the essential story of that's really kind of it's kind of messed up. I feel okay. I okay. I'm not gonna get into the cow thing. Um, the story of Esther is essentially <laughs> Jewish woman in a non-Jewish kingdom ends up getting married to the king after a beauty contest, essentially, and becomes the queen, hiding the fact that she's Jewish, and then steers the court in the correct direction to be more friendly towards the Jewish people, Mm. right? So it's this kind of idea of an outsider being needed to come in and fix the inherent issues with the court. So that's kind of like the first one that really fits the sort of thing we're talking about. Yeah, and I like that because it's like working from within, Mm -hmm. like like recognizing that you have a certain amount of power in this position. And instead of just being like, I don't get it. I hate it. I wish to be nice. It's like, you're actually like work. Yeah. There's a lot higher stakes also than Mm -hmm. kind of the genocide is. Yeah. You know, um, (laughs) (laughs) but okay. So we've got these folklores, we've got these biblical examples. There's a few other examples from like antiquity and stuff like that. But then this trope kind of dies off, right? So, like, in the 1700s, when we start seeing more novels and stuff like that, this isn't really a trope that is in many novels. And I Mm -hmm. think in these earlier times, and this is getting into, like, me, this is not based on, like, I don't have a a thing to cite here. This is me coming up with this on the This is straight from your brain. Yes. So (laughs) I think that, like, these earlier examples it would be more believable to the storyteller that some, that there's this fluidity between like higher class and lower class mm-hmm. because there's more fluidity with the idea of a nation, right? So like the king is in charge of this area, but like at this time, there's a lot more, like there's not this like nationalism and patriotism that kind of starts getting on the rise in the like, post-reformation era right where like borders kind of become more uh solid not that there Mm -hmm. weren't still like border disputes but like the idea of like a nation as a thing to be a part of and to be proud of and whatever is like kind of starts to kick in around that time so like prior to that the idea that oh yeah someone might meet some random king and that random king might like marry a peasant wouldn't seem as impossible as it would in the 1700s because this is what we start to see is that like people aren't writing about kings and queens right because everybody knows who the kings and queens are just you can't just be like oh yeah there was a king people will be like well king of what like king of france king of britain because like we know what the countries are now and we know who the kings are now and you can't just like make up a king yeah yeah so this kind so this trope really kind of falls off until the introduction of uh, fantasy. And once fantasy starts happening and we start being able to make up countries again, then now we have made up kings and queens who can marry regular people and people won't be like, "Mm, that wasn't right. That didn't happen, you know? And yeah, you kind of see this. It's kind of this weird thing now as we go on where now it has been adapted back into like romance writers, right? Like Mm -hmm. the marrying a Royal thing is a big thing, except it's kind of not because if they're talking about historical romances, it's generally not a Royal person that is like, it's always a Duke, right? Like it's almost always a Duke. There's occasionally princes. And sometimes he's a rake. Yeah. So it's like, (laughs) and again, it's that thing of like, we as a reader 
are aware generally of like who the kings of England were, right? So if like a romance author comes to us and is like, oh yeah, this chick is falling in love with King Maximilian, we're all going to be like, no, that's not a person. But if they say like, oh, this woman is falling in love with Duke Maximilian, I'm going to be like, there might have been that Duke. I don't know. I'd buy that. That sounds like a rich person name. I can suspend my disbelief, right? So it's kind of like in like a... Jane Austen novels or novels of that era where they would do like Lord B line. Yes, exactly. Like typing out the name. So you can't be like, that's not a person because I don't know. It might be a person. It could be. Yeah. They only gave us an initial. I have no way of fact checking. this. (laughs) So it's like that sort of idea. And then on the flip side for romances that are like modern, the royal thing has kind of had a resurgence, right? So there's Mm -hmm. a lot, there's actually a pretty good amount of like, modern day romances where someone marries a prince or whatever and i think that probably has a lot to do with kate middleton and Meghan markle but i can't say for sure and there's also (laughs) been a few other royals that have married commoners recently yeah like well even when grace kelly became the princess of monaco right and i mean like up until because if you look back at um god what's his face The one who abdicated so that Queen Elizabeth ended up being queen because her dad got it. Her dad's brother, that one who married the woman, and they're both kind of Nazis. Oh, yeah, he's like Alfred or Albert or... No, Albert's who she married. Yeah, and like Wallace Simpson's the wife. Fuck, man. (laughs) I think it's Wallace Simpson and probably a George is what I'm going to go with. There's lots of Um, Georges, at least three It seems like a good bet. So, like, (laughs) when that all happened... a Henry. (laughs) Like, there is the question of uh, morganatic marriages, right? Because that was kind of the thing pre, uh, you know, 20th century or whatever of if you were in a higher position, you could marry someone in a lower position and they just wouldn't get the title and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's even kind of like the dip in this trope is even kind of codified in the culture at the time, right? Like, it was understood that people stayed within more or less their class and you couldn't really like Yeah, they were just your consort. Right. Well, I mean like a morganatic marriage, like they were husband and wife, but it wasn't like they didn't get all of the uh, titles and they didn't get like the kids couldn't inherit, right? Yeah. So like the the whole prevalence of this, and I think it makes sense that this trope is kind of more popular now when we are living in a time where everyone's like, kind of dealing with the illusion of class mobility, right? Where we're Mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah, totally. Anyone can marry anybody and it's totally fine. And it's like, it definitely isn't. Like that classes are pretty structured and it's very hard (laughs) to move between them. The class divide is larger than it's ever been. (laughs) Right. But it's like this, we have this like cultural myth about class mobility. So it makes sense that it's kind of reflected with this resurgence. Well, that's the American dream, right? Mm -hmm. Just to marry a prince. And on top of that, like in the US at least, which... A lot of what we're referencing is probably more U.S. centric because mm-hmm. that's where we live. Um, but monarchy just seems like such an archaic, faraway yes. thing that it's just like fucking whatever, man. Right? We can we can make up stuff and it'll be like, oh yeah, sure, maybe who knows. <laughs> so yeah, so that's that's this trope. That's my thoughts on it. Those were good thoughts. Thank you. <laughs> I thought them. <laughs> Congratulations. But moving from there, the reason I picked this book. So this book, Just Ella by Margaret Peterson Haddix, is mm-hmm. a, like you said, a Cinderella. I guess deconstruction would probably be yeah, the best way to describe Cinderella it. Cinderella if you took out all the magic. Mm-hmm. Um, which has been done in other places, too. I think mm-hmm. the uh, 
uh, Ever After, that Drew Barrymore movie, is yes. kind of the same vibe oh where it's God. like, oh, Cinderella, but it's not magic. But yeah, so this is Cinderella, no magic, and it's after the events of Cinderella and kind of looking at what the realistic, uh, well, I guess we could debate how realistic, but kind of a, a realistic outcome of the Cinderella narrative of the poor girl marrying a rich man, marrying a king, and being expected to fit into the life of a princess and yes. how that doesn't really work. And you said you had read this book. Yeah, I read it multiple times as a kid. Mm -hmm. And uh, how did it hold up for you? Um, I really did still like it. Um, <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> I think it is very clearly like as a good fairy tale should be, kind of just an allegory for the patriarchy in modern day. Yeah. Like, I felt like it was very, like, hey, she's dealing with people, you know, saying she can't wear this clothes or that clothes and what that means for her. And, hey, she's dealing with, like, not to get too far ahead, but, uh, you know, sexual violence as a threat in order to get her to cooperate with the status quo, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, there's a lot of it's cinderella but it's really not about that you know yeah which i like but i can see how it would be off-putting <laughs> um i think my problems with it stem from a couple other things um i think most of them are just stylistic choices i was not mm. a huge fan of sure but um i guess we should say we who would you recommend this book to i feel like this this reads very much like that in-between line of middle grade and YA, very young yes. YA. Um, but with that disclaimer, there are a few like heavy topics in this. Mm -hmm. um, I know sexual assault is mentioned. Uh, I don't know. A guy dies. Yeah. <laughs> guy There's stabbed. not too much like explicit, yeah. but stuff is very clearly talked about. Mm -hmm. I think it, it's kind of hard because it is dealing with like, like, on the one hand, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's good as, like, a piece of, like, intro to feminism type literature for, mm -hmm. you know, like you said, early YA girls. But at the same time, I do think it is fair to note that this is from the 90s and feminism as, like, a movement has kind of progressed to hopefully being more inclusive because i yeah it looked a little different then yes i think the thing i thought of most when reading this was like wow i like this as a feminist but this reads very white feminist to me not mm -hmm. necessarily in like a blamey way i guess but it's like the issues that were being brought up as i feel like allegory for issues in modern times um are very specific to one experience of womanhood i think yes i agree um, okay. Well, I guess we'll just get into it. Let's. Let's. This is this has been a very, a very um what's the word I'm looking for? Not topic. Fuck. Uh, uh topic. Um, no. <laughs> not theme. It's a T word. I'm gonna remember it in twenty minutes. Move, uh, let's move on. T words. Treaty. Telegraph. This, is a, this has been a very theory heavy theory. episode so far. I helped. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so Ella is Cinderella. Y'all know the story, but like we said, the conceit in this is that the magic stuff is just BS rumors that got spread because the people uh, in this reality don't want to believe that a young girl is capable of changing her destiny. So uh, basically, you know, Ella worked 
really hard every night to uh, make her mother's old wedding gown fit her that was tucked away in the attic. She um, won the glass slippers in a bet from a boastful glass blower. There was no coach that turned into a pumpkin. She just like paid a dude to drive her to the uh, (laughs) driver to the castle. And he's like, be back here by midnight before my other clients get back. She's like, all right. Although what's interesting with that, and this is kind of the thing that I was like thinking about with the feminism thing, Mm -hmm. is like, it doesn't really engage with the way that Ella, although she is oppressed by her gender this is so bullshit feminist theory i'm so sorry you guys if you're listening we're to getting this, into like it fun- you know if this this is an episode for our longtime fans yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but okay so like ella's oppressed right because of her gender but yes. she does have certain privilege that she gets from her sexuality and that's or her her attractiveness right yes yes her sexualness and I'm not saying that's not good either. I'm not saying that like, oh, women who are sexy have it easy. Like, that's not the point. But it doesn't really engage with the fact that she is getting these favors because men keep thinking she's pretty, right? Yes. Because mm-hmm. this guy who like she talks to to get the carriage, he's like, oh, a pretty girl like you, you should have someone come pick you up. I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. And yeah, it's like, free. Ella is in a very disenfranchised position, but at the same time, I don't feel like it really properly engages with the way that her perceived attractiveness is something that she can use. Mm -hmm. And as a result, kind of further marginalizes her, right? Like we kind of get this with the prince where it's like the only reason he wants her is because she's pretty. Mm -hmm. But like, I feel like these other instances of men kind of doing stuff for her because of her looks aren't really fully like it's it's kind of like, like oh, even cool. Jed who will get to yeah. a little bit is yeah. like so pretty she's so pretty and I'm blown like blown away this isn't the message we should be taking right like well and I think that's further compounded too by the fact that her step siblings the evil stepsisters mm-hmm. are just fat yes I and thought- that's what makes like they're mean but they're fat well, they're they're fat and they're also unattractive because yes. at the end, there's a line from our boy Jed, problematic, uh, <laughs> problematic hero that he is, yeah. uh, who says something along the lines of like talking about her stepsister. Oh, she's not that bad looking if you squint. Yes. Although it's trying to mess with the idea of like, oh, what's attractive is only because of who's in power. Um at the same time, it is still very much saying she's ugly. Like, mm-hmm. that's not that's not saying that's not an, a compliment saying someone's not too bad looking if you squint. Like, that's one of those backhanded. Compliments. Yeah, you're saying they're ugly. Like, <laughs> so they're beautiful like this, when I take off my glasses. Yeah. So there is like this thing of like all of the he- like the male characters are pretty much. All good looking Mm -hmm. except for one notable exception and then the female characters if you're good you're pretty and if you're bad you're kind of ugly and fat so it's like yes and even at the end like all of the people that she was like against i guess all her enemies Mm -hmm. in the castle then all try to become fat 
because yes. that's what the princess is. That's kind of more of a common, because I feel like the ones that were her enemies, like Cimbriona and stuff like that, weren't mm-hmm. really her enemies so much as they were just like commentary on the idea of like women internalizing mm-hmm. misogyny, right? Yeah. yeah. So I can give that a pass, but the stepsister thing is like, really? You had to make them ugly and fat? Like, why are we... Why are we doing this? (laughs) And then my second issue, that -hmm. was my first issue. The second issue I have with uh, Ella and her beauty and all that. She's fucking 15 years old. Yeah. I (laughs) forgot about that. Let's talk about that at the top. (laughs) Because that is not revealed until the very end of the book. And I was like, holy shit. No, they reveal it earlier because she says two years ago when I was 13, referring oh, God, to her I father's totally, death. Yeah. yeah. Skipped over Because I was like, all right, I got to strap in for this being a book about a 15-year-old trying to get married. <laughs> oh, my God. Everyone wants to fuck this 15-year-old. Yes. And queen. I mean, I know there's a lot of, like, argument and back and forth about, like, age of consent and women got married younger back then and whatever. But also, like, that's not really historically accurate, like... For the most part, women did not get married at 11 and 12, like some people like to claim. Um, <laughs> and, like, I will give this book a pass because it is set in it is set in a time period where 15-year-olds being sexually attractive, I guess, maybe could have been a thing. I, however, do want to say I think it's weird if you're writing in the 90s. Yes. To make that decision. Yes. You could have easily made her 18. You could have made it like we're training her to be married in a few years. Like, Yeah. Or, I mean, I would have even been okay with her being 15, the people coming on to her being seen as creepy, which yes. for the most part they are yes. by the end. Um, the prince being older because by the end we understand that he is creepy, mm-hmm. but her canon love interest needs to not be twenty because he yeah, is he... in fact uh. twenty. <laughs> so like, either he needed to be aged down or he needed to get the boot by the he end of this book. Needed to not do what he did at the end. Mm-hmm. Could have just been friends. That would have been fine. And I, I feel like this might. <sighs> I don't know. I feel like it's hard because I feel like definitely now if I was reading a YA book where the character was 15, the main mm-hmm. character is 15, and the love interest is 20, no matter what time period it's set in, I'd be like, why are we doing this? There's no reason for this. Yes. But there were, I feel like that was just such a thing in the 90s. And I mean, like, it's Blood and chocolate? Fuck. <laughs> Blood and chocolate. I was going to mention a book series that I actually quite like, and I think I've mentioned before, uh, Princess Diaries by Meg Cabot, the main character's 15 or 14 at the start of that, and her love interest is, I think, 18, but then it, as it goes on, he's in his, like, he gets early older. 20s, right? <laughs> so it's like, if I read that, if I had just found that today, I would have been, like, creeped out by that, right? Mm. And I don't know if that's a times they are a changing thing, or if it's just I'm older now, so, like, the idea of a 20-year-old wanting to fuck a 15-year-old is, like, super fucking gross but then you have to ask like why are adults writing that like these are 15 year olds writing fan fiction about their romantic interests i mean i guess it kind of makes sense in terms of like you're writing for an audience and especially in the 90s the assumption was that teen girls thought older guys were hot right but let's get let's get rid of that let's just yeah i don't think that's a healthy thing to 
capitalize let's not groom on our children. Yeah. <laughs> oh, a little bit, a little bit gross. Anyway, <laughs> that's our soapbox segment for this week. <laughs> let's do some goofs. Now we'll, yeah. Now let's do some chuckling. Um, Ella super hates living in the castle because everyone is so prim and proper and mean to her all the time. And this is what I mean by stylistic choices with this book that I did not like because it just hits you over the head again and again and again with how awful life in the palace is. And I'm just like, by the end of chapter three, I was like, I'm, I under, I get it. I'm sick of this. I'm fucking over it. Everyone here sucks. Um, I'm tired of her getting lectured all the goddamn time about stupid shit. Just like have her either make a friend or start working to get out of here. I'm over it. <laughs> I agree on the one hand. I think part of it is that this is for a younger audience. So you do have that sort of repetition in generally in books for younger audiences, because it's like, Mm -hmm. you want to make sure that they get the point, not saying that kids are dumb, just saying that like, you want to make sure they get the point. (laughs) (laughs) And I think also the thing with like all of the terribleness of the palace, like I said, reading this now, I was like, oh, this is basically like various one-to-one correlations of different modern things that are problems mm-hmm. right so it's like, it's like okay doing the- a checklist like okay got that one gonna get this one next yeah exactly like it's like okay what's like uh a good stand-in for like eating disorders right okay so she's gonna be told that she has to stay skinny because uh, like to the point that she was when she was in her stepmother's care being and being abused. starved. Right. Yeah. Like, so mm-hmm. like, okay, we did that. We understand. Like, well, we will talk about it like four times. <laughs> right. And then like, okay, what's the next one? All right. Uh, women um, not having their own goals in terms of professional lives. Okay. We're going to do this needlework scene to do that. So, I mm-hmm. mean, like I get like, I feel like each of the scenes of terribleness were kind of addressing a different aspect of like, ways that women get fucked over by the patriarchy um but it was pretty repetitive (laughs) yes uh as a as a 31 year old reading this for the first time i was like i hate it they take a red pen to all of this as like an allegory i get it as i've said allegory so many times in this episode i get it as like (laughs) as like a narrative it's does drag a bit yes well especially because then it frames it as like i'm sorry i know we said we were gonna get to jokes it frames it as like (laughs) jokes jokes are gone (laughs) ella is the only character that is likable for such a long time because she introduces mary eventually okay yeah sure i wish we had more of mary though and then she'll introduce jed but then like halfway through the book Ella kind of like turns on Jed a little bit. Also, Jed is a trash bag. And Jed is trash. Yeah. So (laughs) it's like, hope you really like Ella because that's all you got, man. (laughs) I will say, though, and maybe you'll disagree with this. I did like Ella. I thought she was. She was fine. She was. She was a believable 15 year old in this situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think she had. She was at both like an easy uh, like self insert sort Mm -hmm. of character, but also she did have some personality yeah like i liked when she went back for the books and she's like this is what i'm gonna do but right for a lot of it yeah i understood why she was sticking with these bad decisions right yes. mm-hmm. like why it took her this long to get to the point of being like mm, okay this isn't for me i'm piecing out you know yeah yeah mm-hmm. 
So here's some shit that happens to Ella because a lot of this book is just bad stuff happens to her. Just terrible. She she gets yelled at for starting a fire in her own room. And the reason she had to start the fire was because her maid slept in and her maid was fired um, and like beaten, I think. Beaten yeah. and then fired. Um, and so she was like just expected to be frozen in her room, I guess. Well, and, and they're like, oh, you should have rang the bell to get your maid up. And she was like, oh, if I had rung the bell, would she still get fired? And they were like, yeah. Yeah, she slept she in. never slept. But she wouldn't have had to make your own fire. Oh, man. <laughs> um, They have a tournament, and Ella is, like, all excited about going outside for the first time in months because they keep her locked up in this nasty old castle. Uh, but then they basically just make all the women sit inside of a tent that is closed off so they can't see any of the action because the women are all virgins and they're not allowed to see things like sweaty guys i guess (laughs) well i think it was the other way because the sweaty guys weren't allowed to see them because they would get overworked so i think this was the response to tank tops in dress code of schools of the 90s moment of this book right yes (laughs) (laughs) you cannot let a man see your spaghetti strap or he shall become aroused Oh, yeah. And also in this scene, she is wearing like a corset and it makes her faint because the clothes are trash. Um, and hey, then, corsets don't do that. I just want to say. Yeah. Well, they do when a nasty woman is tying it on you, I guess. I don't know. Um, Ella's religion slash history teacher has like a stroke or a heart attack or something because he is extremely overweight. That's the explanation I got from the book. I don't know. Ella is yelled at because she dared try to save his life. Um, she touched his bare chest. Yeah. <laughs> and then also she tried asking people if he survived at dinner. And they're like, oh, gasp. We do not talk about such gross things at dinner. <laughs> so it's just like little things like that over and over again. She's just constantly getting chastised. Well, maybe if she wasn't so bad at being a princess. Exactly. I mean, really. That's what did the she thing think I, she was doing? I really wanted for Ella is just be like, girl, marry the prince, become the fucking queen, and destroy it from the inside. <laughs> See, but I think that wouldn't have worked because of... She was too timid. Well, she was too timid, but also I think once we kind of get to see the prince, I think that with charming, or charm, as Ella refers to him, Ugh. only in her head for the first part of this book... Yeah, like we see he doesn't get to do stuff. He doesn't really make decisions. So I think even if she did kind of get in line, because this is this is the point, right? It's a patriarchal system. Even the people who are in the system and seem to be benefiting from the system actually aren't, right? Like, mm-hmm. like you can try to tear down the system from the inside, but you can't actually because then you're just another cog in the machine, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Ella meets a little servant girl named Mary, who is actually nice to Ella and treats her like a person. And who Ella refers to as the servant girl Mary for, like, way too long. It's like, we know who Mary is. You can stop saying she's (laughs) a servant. She's the only other character in this book that you... Like, chill. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But also, their relationship is weird because Ella isn't really allowed to talk to her or be friendly with her and also mary is just always tired because she's a servant so anytime she goes to ella it's like she's skimping out on sleeping or eating or you know something whatever whatever servants do with their time i don't know (laughs) if this book was written in 2020 she and jed would break up at the end and she'd get with mary just saying yes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm 
She would have taken Mary down that crap hole with her. Yes. <laughs> uh, Ella also meets Jed, who is the oldest son of her religion teacher that had a stroke or whatever. And he's come to take over the lessons. They have a little bit of a rocky beginning because when Jed first meets her, he's just like so blown away by how beautiful Ella is. Like he can't even talk. He's just like, oh, jaw hanging open. (laughs) I will say I distinctly remember there are a few things in this book that I was like, man, I super remember that from Mm -hmm. reading this as a kid, right? Like the weevils thing where she gets like gruel with weevils in it. I was like, oh "Oh, man, visceral memory of that. Mm -hmm. Um. I also very specifically remember being completely unimpressed by Jed, even as a kid. (laughs) Yes, he's so, like, unworthy of... He's just nothing. Yes, he doesn't... He doesn't do anything to earn Ella's devotion, in my opinion. It's whatever. It's It's whatever. I guess it's because he treats her like a person, and he's the only other male character in this book. Yeah. So, by default, they have to end up together. I respect that the book didn't end with them actually, this yeah. is getting ahead, with them actually being together, and mm-hmm. I can headcanon that they didn't end up together. Yeah, yeah. So He that's had fine. to stay at court, and he met another girl. He he married Simpriana, Sim- and uh, yeah. <laughs> Ella became a doctor. Much better. And, yeah. Anyway. This um, is like one of the few books I read as a kid that I wasn't like, mm, I want there to be more kissing. I was like, this is the appropriate is, amount of kissing. This is a good amount of kissing. There should Zero. be no more kissing. <laughs> Uh, anyway, Ella eventually begins to doubt her love for the prince, and it has become clear to her that the only reason that the prince wants to marry her is because she is beautiful. So it's become clear to her in the sense that people directly say this to yes, her face. <laughs> yes, her like etiquette manners teacher, or whatever, is like you stupid girl. <laughs> Who I actually, upon rereading this, think is one of the most interesting characters in this book, right? Because mm. she's like. I felt the same way about her as I did with the Cinderella live action Disney remake and the stepmother, right? Where I'm like, you guys are trying very hard to have this character who's like just as damaged, like the internalized misogyny thing, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Like where they get ahead by putting down other Other women, women, right? And I was like, this is interesting. This, I want to follow her story. I want to know how she came to this point. I want that prequel. Right? To see where she ends up. Uh, so like we said, the Charming family, their actual names, are not allowed to have ugly children or something. So when Ella went to this ball a few months ago, the women that attended the ball, because it's Cinderella, every every woman is, woman is invited to the ball because the prince needs a wife, whatever. The When they get there, the women are divided up by ugly women and beautiful women. And Ella is put into the beautiful woman part of the ballroom and then the prince only dances with her that night and you know she has to leave because it's midnight and she leaves her glass slipper and he finds her whatever uh so ella (laughs) ella decides that she needs to call off the wedding because she does not love prince charming and she is not going to get married if there is no love involved well, and she realizes he doesn't love her, right? Because yeah. that's kind of her mm-hmm. thing at first. She's like, oh, I don't want to break up with him if he loves I don't me. And I'm like, girl, no. Like, no, that's okay. You can, <laughs> you can, you can hurt that. his feelings. And so she, there's a scene where, like, I guess it's every other night, Ella and Charming are allowed to have an audience together. But they have to have a, a chaperone. A very bad date. The worst date in the world. And <laughs> she decides on one of these dates. She's just like... Yo, Charm, I cannot marry you. And he doesn't get it. He's like, 
But why? You will. You will marry me. Stop saying these things. We're getting married. It doesn't make sense to me that we're not getting married. Very, very Lord Farquaad, you know? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, it gets through to him that Ella wants to leave the castle and not be with him. And so he decides the best thing to do is to tie her up and go to get his advisors because, as we've said, he's just... He he can't think for himself. That's his big whole thing. So his his advisors decide it's best to lock up Ella in the dungeons until she caves and decides to marry Charming. And while she's down in the dungeon, she is visited by Mary, and Ella is like, "Mary, go get Jed and tell him I need help. I need I need an adult to help me right now. You are just a child. Like I am a child. You are a child. Let's find an adult. I am and- fifteen. Please go get my twenty year old boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> and- he is an adult who will help me." <laughs> Well, you got part of it right. You did get the go find an adult part right. The boyfriend, I'm not sure. You should rethink that one. That part's not so good. (laughs) Jed is like the guy who graduated from high school five years ago, but still comes and hangs out in the parking lot. You mean Jed is Johnny Spells? (laughs) Yeah, I I was getting that vibe from him for sure. And Mary's like, um... Jed left to go run a refugee camp because <laughs> I forgot to mention a couple of things. Jed's like passion is to run a refugee camp because the country that they live in and some other random country are perpetually at war with one another. And no one remembers why they just are fighting and causing lots of death. And it's even like where the, where they are fighting, like nobody knows where one country ends and the other begins and everything is destroyed anyway. So nobody wants to live there. They just go and fight. Was this a reference to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict? Oh, maybe. I feel like it was. I don't know, though. I don't know either. Yeah. I'm not confident enough to make a statement. It could have been a reference to any number of conflicts in which borders Mm -hmm. are under dispute but i feel mm-hmm. like that was really i could be wrong but i feel like that was really kicking off like in the a late, very 90s. late 90s thing right yeah i don't know someone smarter than us tell us <laughs> actually don't i really don't want to get a history lesson on the israeli-palestine con- conflict over twitter i feel like that's something i need to educate myself on in a, an appropriate just, manner just tweet at us yes or no <laughs> <laughs> uh <laughs> Jed is gone. He's he's going to go run his refugee camp. He didn't even say goodbye because it would have hurt him too much to say goodbye to you, the 15-year-old he loves. <laughs> um, however, I, I can bring you food that will help you survive because you haven't eaten in four days. And also, here's a shovel for you to dig your way out of here via the latrine. Mary is such a good provider. Yes. And like, they just, she's just. So Ella appropriately escaped. aged. <laughs> Ella escapes and she's just like Mary's Mary's probably fine living that shit life in the castle as a servant. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna like write to her or like tell Jed to bring her back with him. She has to go get her man. She does. Oh my god. Ella 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 digs a crap tunnel out of the dungeon. She she slogs through the poop, uh, breaks out on the other side of the castle wall. But as she's digging, like in the advisors bring this guard to watch her who is uh-huh, like uh-huh. a convicted rapist. A convicted rapist and also clearly suffering from some sort of 
mental disability. Yes. Yeah. Which is cool. Uh, that all he that's can do what we're is doing. Like, grunt and laugh and say, I want. Yeah. Just this was several layers of gross. I got the point by the end of it of like, again, of being like using sex. And actually, th- I thought this was like kind of a deeper point than most like feministy kids lit gets mm-hmm. where it's like the threat of sexual violence is used by supposedly good men as a way to coerce women into doing what they want. Right. Mm-hmm. So like the idea of you need to behave in this manner. So some other bad man doesn't do a thing to you. Right. Yes. I'm not going to do the bad thing. It's another bad guy. Who's going to do the thing. You, to you need but you still to need to do you. what yeah. I want you to do. Mm-hmm. Right. So I was like, I liked it's inclusion for that. I didn't like. Did not care for the execution. Anything else about it? Yeah, no. <laughs> it also, you know what else really bothered me about this scene, and this is very petty compared to the like sexual assault aspect. Uh-huh. The dude's name was Quag, and Quag. everyone else had normal ass names. Yeah, everyone, what was everyone the deal? Else was like Ella. Mary. Jed, Mary. Like, the weirdest one was charming, but that's at least, like, a word. In, it's from Cinderella. Yeah. yeah, in the language that this is written in. What is quag? I think What's he's a that? gargoyle. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, very weird. A very weird choice. <laughs> yeah. And so this, all this does is make Ella want to dig faster. And at some point, like, Prince Charming comes down and he just kills the dude. He's like, ah, I've saved you from this this sexual deviant and i hope that will inspire you to marry me and it doesn't because he's still gross too (laughs) (laughs) so ella eventually breaks free she goes on the run she stops by her old house first to like pick up some supplies and some books and food new clothes and there's a scene where she confronts her stepmom she's like fuck off you old hag always the best scene in any cinderella is the Mm -hmm. confronting the stepmom scene Yes, but I feel like this one was kind of like underscored a little by the fact that by the fact that she was running off to meet a twenty-year-old man. Yes, yeah, that, <laughs> and also the fact that at the end she's like, my stepmom like got her happy ending. Also, like that's not satisfying. I like that though. Here's the thing: I want the I want the Cinderella to have the moment of catharsis of mm-hmm. being like, "Fuck you! I hate you." But then also I don't want her to be bitter at the end and do the thing that the original, I believe the original Cinderella does where one of the Cinderella variants where they like put all of the stepmom and stepsisters in a barrel full of nails and drag them through town. Like that's yes, fucked that's up. Metal. I love that. <laughs> no, I think you need to like say your piece. I and- for an I am. <laughs> they dared abuse the future princess. <laughs> I think you need to say your piece. Get your emotions out there and then cut them off and don't don't worry about them anymore. And if they're happy, cool. If they're not, cool. Like, Can you imagine if that was a part of like the daily Disney World parade? Amazing. <laughs> it just it started at Cinderella's castle and just like went all around town. Can you imagine if you were the poor actress who had to be the stepsister in that case? <laughs> Can I tell you, when I was a high schooler, I like my dream job as a like freshman 
was mm-hmm. to go be a princess at Disney World. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which princess did you want to be, Belle? Well, here's the thing. Okay. I very quickly was disillusioned because I was five foot ten at the time and the princesses were not allowed to be that tall. So like <laughs> oh, the only Disney character I could be was like the evil stepmother or something like that or like Maleficent. And I was like, well, I can't but, do that. But so today I- I'm like, that's a, yeah, you should go be Maleficent. <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> Uh, oh maybe if they get their shit together and you know stop trying to open in the middle of a pandemic oh yeah yeah again we're doing so many hot theme park takes these days (laughs) it's like we really want to talk about theme parks all the time (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) ella makes her way to what she hopes is the refugee camps she doesn't really know. She's like, I'm going to go in this direction. And she's studying the books she took from her dad's library. She took one on, like, being a doctor. And she took one about plants and cooking Solid. and stuff. And she took a book of poetry that she said she already had mostly memorized. So, so don't um, know why that was why the choice. That? And then she brought a book of philosophy, which I guess was, like, a way to also persuade Jed to be like, I'll give you this book if you take me in. I don't know. So if you were a 15-year-old running off to meet your 20-year-old boyfriend in a uh-huh. refugee camp, what would your your six books be? Mm, my six books. This is like a desert <laughs> island. I know, right? Uh, my six books. I would definitely. Okay, so this is 15-year-old Anna. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Impressing my hypothetical 20-year-old boyfriend. Yes. Um, oh, I'd probably, I probably I would probably bring like a music theory book because that mm-hmm. was 15-year-old me. I still thought I was going to be a, a musician at that age. I and would you bring, still might be. I still might be. <laughs> I would probably bring if I wanted okay, am I running to a refugee camp? Yes. This okay. is the scenario. I <laughs> I think definitely gossip girl. Mm-hmm. I would bring probably the first volume or two. They're thin. So if she can bring like several hard hardback books, I'm gonna say I can bring like the first three volumes of Gossip Girl. Yeah. Um, as then that'd be one book. Okay. I'm <laughs> sure there was like a bind up too of those, yeah, you know. Probably. Um I would probably bring I would probably bring like a foraging book. I don't think that was mm-hmm. one I personally owned, but you know, and then maybe I would cup, grab a couple random volumes of the World in, World Britannica Encyclopedia. These are good like, choices. Maybe. Worst case scenario, toilet paper. <laughs> what are you bringing? What was on your shelf? Um, I think 15. I think the timeline would be right. I probably would be bringing one of the Twilight books. Oh, yeah. Because that was the situation. The longest um, one. Probably at least one Meg Cabot book would mm-hmm. be in there. It'd be hard to pick which one because those are all pretty short. The mediator I, one. Yeah, that was a good one. Although that's also like a 21-year-old with like a 15-year-old. Meg Cabot, what was going on? What was going on back then? I don't know. But I mean, if you're running to your 20-year-old boyfriend, that Yes, seems he'd be into that. Yeah. I'd be like, yeah. look, I like the things you like. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Look, I'm cool with this. Um, yeah, look, see? And so, so is at least one other woman. Yes, you know. <laughs> um, I'd probably bring like a Calvin and Hobbes comic strip. Oh, yeah, that's up. your philosophy. Mm-hmm. That's your philosophy book right there. Uh-huh. Yeah, that would make me look really cool to this 20-year-old. <laughs> For sure. No, he'd be like, wow, I also love Calvin and Hobbes because yes. that is a thing. 
Um, for Gen Xers, I feel like, which is, I think, what a 20-year-old would be for a 15-year-old. I don't think so. I think because they'd be, like, for me, they'd be 34. I forgot how old I am. Super uh, old millennial then. Yeah, I think Gen Xer for me, because I'm yeah. also kind of an older millennial. Outing myself here as an uncool adult. <laughs> we said how old we are before. I know. Uh, <laughs> okay. I would probably bring, okay, so I think this would track around the time that I was 15, I had a relative die, and they had a whole bunch of, like, classic books in, like, really fancy leather bind-up that we got. Oh, yeah. So I never actually read them. Erudite. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I'd bring one of those. Like, I'd bring, like, Ivanhoe or something, you know? Oh, yeah, because you'd want to be mature for your older boyfriend. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And as a bonus, they were really big, so if I met some brigands on the road, I could smack them with it. You could hit them with it or bore them to death by reading Ivanhoe. Which is also not the first time we've mentioned Ivanhoe on this podcast. <laughs> uh, one day we're going to have to read Ivanhoe for this podcast. No. I'm just <laughs> it's eight million pages long. Um, and God, what else was I into at 15? Oh, I know. I would bring my own journal. <laughs> oh, good call. Excellent call. Oh, my gosh. I'm glad we both skirted around the obvious answer, though. Yeah, neither of us. We're took not it. even going to give it airtime. Oh, you Proud know what I would bring though? What? That's kind of related to that. I had this like choose your own, half choose your own adventure, half like guide to being a wizard book that I got at like half price books for oh, like four shit. bucks. Uh-huh. So it's like fun because on the one hand, it's like choose your own adventure that that kills quite a bit of time you know uh-huh. you can go through yeah. that a few times and on the other hand i don't know maybe magic is real and i can figure that out while i'm exactly. out in the woods yeah you need the handbook <laughs> oh man well ella did more practical things than we did she she learned how to cure people and feed people so that she would be useful to jed and he wouldn't refuse her a place there at his refugee camp but we all know Jed was never going to refuse Ella because as soon as she gets to the refugee camp, Jed is like, I love you. Will you marry me, please? I don't care that you're only 15. Just disgraceful behavior. <laughs> it's so... Jed, you're too thirsty. <laughs> if he had just been 17. Yes. Then I would. Then I could have excused his, like, his really rash behavior up here. Like, no, now marry me. I must have you. And of you. course... If he was 17, this would also be terrible because why is a 17-year-old in charge of a refugee camp? But I don't know. I mean, he leaves a 15-year-old in charge yeah. of it when he leaves, so I don't know. Also, even a 20-year-old really shouldn't be in charge of a refugee camp. They were different times back then. Different he was times. a man grown, Em. The refugees would take what they could get. <laughs> but Ella, good girl that she is, was like, wow, I don't know if I can leave one relationship to directly enter another. So give me like at least six months to give you an answer. I will t- I will need six months. I will be almost 16 by then. I will be old enough to decide if I want to marry you. Yikes. So <laughs> they spend a few months together. So Bandaging like- the wounds. Of the refugees, <laughs> yeah, but in a yeah. sexy way. Actually, no, they're very much like it wasn't. We were, we we didn't. We weren't sexy. We were yeah, yeah, platonic. No. We talked about what we would do when we were married, but like I, we it wasn't a, it wasn't a romantic thing. It's just like 
It was just Jed it's, saying how much he wanted to weird. put a baby in me. Like, what? That's yeah, this, weird. This section, like, now that I'm thinking about it, it's kind of very, unsettling because very it's like... strange. He didn't really give you six months to come up with an answer then. It was more just like he was waiting six months for you to marry to, him. Yeah. And, like, it very much gave me... And this is going to sound very judgmental, but it very much gave me, like, the Mormon kids I knew as a teen vibes of, like, mm. oh, we're not dating, we're courting, and we just talk about what we'll do when we're married. And it's like, that's fucking weird. <laughs> what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Oh, my God. You're 16. Stop. Stop. Yes. Sorry, Mormons. I'm sure some of you aren't weird. But the ones I knew as a teenager were. <laughs> Jed's dad dies, finally. <laughs> um, I guess, like, I don't know if he was just, like, in a medically induced coma or if he was... Because he's, like, paralyzed. Is the yeah. Thing. He has a stroke and he can't, he can't do shit. He can't walk. He can't really talk. So I guess that he was just limping along for a few months and then finally died. Well, I mean, Which, that's, like, a thing if you have a stroke, you're more susceptible to have another stroke. So, like, yeah. he but probably just had like, another stroke. The culture of this castle, I feel like Charming would have just gone in and killed him. Like, <laughs> <laughs> they're like, this is not pretty. <laughs> uh, so Jed has to go back to the castle to take over his dad's position. And he, and he leaves Ella in charge. And once he gets there, he writes to her and he's like, I think I can end the war so that we no longer have to have a, re a refugee camp. And also, I think I can get out of having to do this job. So will you wait for me? And Ella, I guess in her mind is like, yeah, okay, I love you the end. But she never like tells him that. She's just like, I will wait for him. The actual end is her being like, kind of doesn't matter about him i'm happy doing work and i'm yeah. happy having a purpose which mm -hmm. is like cool and also what happened so uh charming like a few oh yeah days after ella went missing they held a wedding and she didn't know like who he ended up marrying but jed writes in the letter he's like he she ended up marrying or he ended up marrying your stepsister the one that was slightly less fat and could open the door faster i guess and Whoa. they all moved in the castle and they seem happy and everyone is learning to become fat because the princesses which is like a thing of like whoever has power that's yeah. what the standard of beauty is but like it a doesn't happen that fast and b is kind of weirdly well and jed just like jokes about it he's like yeah he's he's like can you just can you believe all these women are just eating all day constantly just trying to gain weight and like it's kind of like a gag at the end like and they all got fat they got what they deserve they all got fat well i mean on the other side they were also behaving unhealthily when ella was the idea because yeah, she was starved and everyone was like let's all starve ourselves so mm -hmm. like that wasn't great either but yeah i think that like anytime there's kind of that argument of like oh it's really unhealthy to be very skinny too and and so it's okay if we talk about how unhealthy it is to be fat also it's like yeah but we don't you don't have the like we currently, in the 90s especially, lived in a culture where skinny was the ideal. Yes. And there's so much, like, negative baggage and negativity around being overweight. It's like, and I said especially the 90s, but also now. Um, <laughs> yeah. That it's, like, very different to critique 
extreme thinness as a health issue versus ext- like not even extreme obesity, just like being a bit overweight. As yeah, like a I don't think I'm not. Yeah, I think they were probably just like curvy. Yeah. So like, I get it. I don't want to be like, oh, this is the worst ever. But like at the same time, I think that it's trying to hold these two things up as equal when they just aren't. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we can in a vacuum they are like in a vacuum yes it's unhealthy to be very skinny and it's unhealthy to be very overweight like yeah that's true but like we don't live in a vacuum and there's like already such vitriol towards people who are overweight and not for health reasons mm-hmm. and even if it was for health reasons it's not anybody else's business so like shut the fuck up yeah yeah that it it's kind of compounding the problem to have that be the villain in your book right yeah. in, a, in a YA novel no less where girls are already hypersensitive towards what they look like and I don't think that they really got into the skinniness thing as much as they should have like she kind of says it like when they're like talking about her getting fatter and she's like well I was starving before that's why like now I she, have food there was a horrifying shovel hands moment for me in oh this yeah because- they're doing up their corsets in that scene where they're going to the tournament and she says that Cimpriana's waist was as thin as a gold coin. Now what to be fair, to be fair, <laughs> this is a fantasy world sort the of. Gold the gold coins could have been The gold coins were the size of hubcaps. It was fine. <laughs> oh my oh God. man. What a just what a terrifying image though. Like where do your organs go? I mean, I've worn some corsets, and I've never gotten gold coin-sized or anywhere close. But I mean, like, you can smush things quite a bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, your organs are all just, like, floating in there. Yeah. You just so they, can they just go up or yeah. down. That's what, you know, that's what happens when you go on a roller coaster and it feels all goofy. <laughs> but, Gross. like... Gold coin, though. Gold coin is excessive. That's not okay. And I don't I don't think, I think that's kind of like a thing that people say, like, they're like, oh, the corsets, they got down to, like, this size. And it's like, they didn't, though. That's no. not physically possible. It was possible. probably an illusion created by the mm-hmm. dress. Yeah. And the corset and everything. Anyway. Anyway. That was this book. It was this book. So how did this affect your reading of this trope i guess how did this fit into the trope do you feel like this was an example of the thing you're talking about how did it yeah no i think this is this is definitely an example of it um this is a good this was all like the aftermath which is what i like Mm -hmm. is what happens in the aftermath of a royal or a person of nobility marrying someone who is not of that station right i think for me the ideal book for this trope would be someone who does this is gonna sound so classist and I don't mean it to, but <laughs> it's gonna to let's do it. Respect the position that you're in. Mm-hmm. Say that there there is like I'm in a position of power and privilege, and I'm going to use that to rework things. Like if I'm wanting to feed the people or to redistribute the wealth or to create public programs that help increase the value of life for everybody i'm going to do that from within and i'll play the game for now because someday i will be the ultimate say so Hmm. you know yes i like someone who's wise about it all right 
And I also don't want there to be a gross age gap. <laughs> yeah, noted, noted. <laughs> like adult, maybe. Yeah, I, I think adult's probably a good way to go. I wanted to ask, because um, there's kind of, I guess, three distinct possibilities, mm-hmm. one of which is going to be harder to find. Would you prefer a fantasy setting such mm. as uh, Crown Duel? Mm-hmm. A like fantasy light fantasy well. light yeah. or you know like or, maybe yeah there, there is magic like in it light, you know or like a realistic historical setting although maybe not actually real world like this one where mm-hmm. there isn't magic but it's historical mm-hmm. right um whether or not it's real history or a made-up place like this or modern day mm. i think um I think for me, modern day is going to be kind of a wash because okay. I've I've been ruined for that already. Okay. Um, and that is to say, I am so predisposed to liking a contemporary romance in the genre. Mm. Um, See, I thought you were going to say you were so predisposed to disliking the that because of all of the Christmas rom coms we watched. That too. That <laughs> I think that probably has a lot to do with it. Um, <laughs> I. If I have a choice, I'm always going to lean towards fantasy because okay. I like magic. But if if it there's no magic, I'm also fine with that. Okay. I think that, see, the thing is, I feel like the direction I want to go with this is something more fantasy where mm. this is a trope, but maybe not the main point of the book, mm-hmm. right? But that's kind of harder to do because that's harder to figure out if it is the yeah, case or not in a summary, right? Book. Like I yeah. kind of had to read the book ahead of time. Um, so stuff to think about for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I think it is more interesting to do it from a more medieval, whether that be mm-hmm. fantasy or not, because then you can have the more like the political intrigue seems more yeah. high stakes, you know? Well, and for me personally, although I do like this trope in, mm-hmm. like, modern contemporaries, mm-hmm. it's very hard for me to not be like, eh, royalty shouldn't exist, exactly. and the fact that you've hoarded this much wealth means that you're a bad person. <laughs> like, you know? So... Yeah, kind of like billionaire romance. It's just like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't have quite that hang-up if Read it's, the room. <laughs> right. Historical setting. I'm like, oh, it's just fine. But if it's, like, modern day, I'm like, mm... I do think this is sexy, but I also don't like the amount of money you have. <laughs> I only like it when it's an anime like or on mm. high school. <laughs> Good lord. So yeah. That's some guidelines for you. Alright. Stuff to think about, indeed. Mm-hmm. Have you read anything that you can recommend? Um, I have a couple of quick reads to suggest this week one of them Mm -hmm. i think i've suggested before but i would be remiss to not suggest it at this point in time Mm -hmm. which is my absolute favorite book from when i was the age that i first read this book which is also a cinderella retelling ella enchanted by gail carson levine so so good i love that book so much where they shorten it to char and for some reason Mm -hmm. like char is so much better than way better because char (laughs) Well, I was going to say char is not a word, but it super is, isn't it's, it? Yeah, it's a word, <laughs> but it seems more like it could be a name than just an yeah, adjective. Yeah, and it's not person. like a cheesy word, like, oh, he's so charm, you know, mm. like, ew. Yeah. yeah. The other one that I was reading this week, which is kind of along the lines of, like, dealing with a um, folklore or, like, more traditional element, mm-hmm. um, 
in a more contemporary setting, although I don't think this one was fully contemporary. It was a little bit hard to tell for reasons that will become clear in a second. Okay. Is The Terracotta Bride by Zen Cho. Okay. Um, which is a novelette, so it's a real quick read. It's like 50 pages. Love it. But it's about a woman who has died and is in the 10th circle of hell and Sweet. is married to a man who, as his second wife, like while she's in hell, because like the way it works is there's like, in order to not get reincarnated, you have to like pay all of these bribes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um so he's like this wealthy guy who tells her great uncle that he can protect her and takes her into the household in order to piss off his first wife. So as time goes on, he then bring when at the start of this story, he brings in a third wife who is a terracotta woman. And from there, lesbians happen. <laughs> nice. Um, so yeah, it's a quick read and it was like very well written and like, like it it had a good economy of words, I felt like, where mm-hmm. I wasn't like, this isn't enough, this is or this is like too slow or whatever. And the ending made me cry. So like well, shit, you know, I just bought it. I just bought it. Yes, just now. Do it. Do it. I did. I hit one click buy. It was very easy. <laughs> so yeah, I really like that one. I'm gonna be looking into some of the the author's other work to see if I like her longer stuff as well. But um how about you? What you got? Um I think I've also talked about this book on the podcast before, but if I did, it's been probably a year or two. So yeah, it's fine. I could pretend it didn't happen. Um, the Parasol Protectorate by Gail Carrier, yep. the first book, Soulless, um, is basically just a woman who is a spinster at the age of 26, uh, <sighs> but she's like a unmarriable because she is a smart and forward-thinking woman, and she falls in love with a very powerful man who is a werewolf, and... <laughs> It's it's just a good series. She she is um put in a place of power where she can kind of go solve crimes. The whole conceit is that like she doesn't have a soul. So when it's a paranormal thing, so when she touches paranormal beings like vampires and werewolves and ghosts, they lose that paranormalness and they just become regular humans. Hmm. Um but because she doesn't have a soul, she's like just very logical and matter of fact and stuff. It's pretty good. I liked it. And then also, just because it's about royalty, I've been reading King of Scars by Lee Bardugo. Just started mm. it, like, on chapter four or five. Was, well, I'm a, I'm a Lee Bardugo stan. I can't, I can't deny <laughs> it. I just, I love everything she writes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a bit behind on some of her stuff. I read the mm. Grisha series, and mm-hmm. I read the first one of the duology, but then I kind of... And Crooked Kingdom. Yeah, Crooked Kingdom is really good. I think, I don't know. I don't know. The so King of Scars is going to be a duology too. And then mm. she wrote the adult novel Ninth House. Duology is, oh yeah, I've got that sitting on my shelf still. Me too. I haven't read it. I pre-ordered it. <laughs> I haven't read it yet. <laughs> Duologies are, I think, the best amount of books. It's the, yes, it's the perfect amount right. of book. Especially if each book in the in a trilogy is over mm-hmm. like 400 pages anyway. I feel like when we were younger, like, people were going real hard on the trilogies. So hard on trilogies. And it just, like, that second book was always shit, you know? Yeah. Like, it was mm-hmm. like, the first book was good, the third book was good, that second book was filler, man. Yeah. It, we can't all be Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> <laughs> you know what else is a good duology is the most recent Star Wars duology, which is two movies long, and I refuse to watch the third. <laughs> 
Oh, we here at Shelf Aware. I think The Last Jedi. Last Jedi, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Don't come find us because we're not interested in you changing our minds. (laughs) It's not going to happen and J.J. Abrams can go suck a dick. (laughs) Um, I was also going to say, what else was I going to say? I don't remember. I had a funny. It's gone now. Never to return. Uh, Also, we've been watching a lot of Dimension 20, so... (laughs) You should also watch it, and if any of you are part of the cast of Dimension 20, feel free to hit us up. We would love to guest on one of those little in-between seasons. That's not going to happen. I know. Oh, man. They're so good, though. One can dream. Uh, That is it for this book and this unit. I'm going to tell you about the next book we're going to read. Oh yeah, we have to do that. I yeah, kind of forgot. so animals, M- let's go. M has the most sad sack thing in the world, which is the <laughs> one where the animal dies so the human can learn a lesson. Um, so we read the yearling that was trash <laughs> in too long. So we're going <laughs> to for the quintessential example. We're going to read Old Yeller. Of it's course, short. <laughs> it's short. <laughs> Excellent. So that's what we'll be doing in two weeks. Have you ever read it before? No. Me neither. Twinsies. I haven't even seen any of the movies. All I, I know I is have like either. a big old yellow dog. I feel like I've seen a lot of like parodies of it, but I have mm. not seen it or read it. I have seen The Incredible Journey. Mm. That's pretty much the same thing, it's, I think. Yeah, it's animals. Dog. dog. One of them is a yellow dog. I have seen Airbud, so I think also same. <laughs> yeah. I actually haven't even seen Airbud. That was a lie. <laughs> you haven't seen any of the Airbuds? No. Why would I? Okay. Actually, we're going to be reading the novelization of the Airbud movie, and the dog doesn't die. Ugh. Um, and I don't think anybody really learns a lesson because it's just the kid likes the dog, and the dog does cool is, tricks. Is it Airbud, or is it Beethoven, where eventually the dog does die? I don't know. I never I feel like got in one into the franchise far enough for any of the dogs to get old. <laughs> I feel like in because I know Airbud eventually becomes Air Buddies, in which it's like he, a bunch yes. of and baby Beethoven Air eventually becomes Beethoven's fifth, where he also yes. has fourth. <laughs> so like, I don't know if I'm making this up, but I feel like in one of these franchises, the adult dog dies. It would make sense for it to happen in Airbud because he is an athlete. Mm. I feel like there's some sort of like accident that can befall. What's him. Beethoven's deal? Is he a musician? I think he's just like a What's big Saint Bernard, and <laughs> oh, he's so it's cute. Like a, it's like a Marmaduke sort of deal. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Why didn't we do that genre? Just big dog movies. <laughs> Because this isn't a movie podcast. That's right. Until the Animorphs movie comes out, at which point it oh absolutely God, will you be. Oh my God, big news. You guys. Be you guys. Oh my God, I'm so pumped. If you do crave that good, good dog content, though, our friend Kate over at Pups and Pop Culture's got lots of conversations <laughs> about dogs. Yeah. M's been on it a couple times. One time? A couple times. Uh, twice, I think, yes. at this mm-hmm. point. Because so. I did a, I did a, a Christmas movie I think over mm-hmm. there, and then you did, and the I did the dead dog, dog, the ultimate oh, no, the dead movie. dog movie. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe that's what we should read again. Just we're <laughs> like we liked it, kind of. Yeah, I didn't mind that one because the dog yeah. had its own like interior life, unlike yeah. the yearling in which the deer was a prop. Oh, that's what you like. You like when the dog has thoughts. 
Not necessarily the dog has thoughts. I f- mm. feel like we can't get into this right now. We can't. It's that's not, that's in two not... weeks, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, really, I don't know what to feed you for that third book. But Nothing's going to work. Here's nothing. the thing. I'm a bitch and none of the third books are ever going to work because I'm either going to be like, mm, this doesn't fit the theme or I'm going to be like, I don't like it because I'm a brat. <laughs> And I don't like being wrong about the things I say I don't like. That's fair. That's fair. (laughs) She sticks to her guns, this one. (laughs) Even when proven incorrect. (laughs) Next Monday, we have an Animorphs book of some nature. I don't know. Is it it that uh, Marco POV? Yes. Called The Discovery? The... Yes, the... (laughs) The, and then some facial wiggled expressions. My <laughs> I think it's I think it's the discovery. I what? think it's the discovery. I know it's the first of the David trilogy, which we will talk about when we get there. Yes. Yeah. I was not expecting there to be a David, but there's a David. There's a David, guys. There's a David on the horizon. It is the discovery. I just there is a it. bad Dave rising. Yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned for that. Um, in the meantime, yeah. I guess we're at the, yeah, in the meantime, yeah, the if end. you, if you want to tell us about how Just Ella talk, is talking about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, um, you just tweeted us yes or no. We, you know, like, that is on us. We need to, we need to do our own research, but you can tweet at us at ShelfAwareCast or email us ShelfAwareCast at gmail.com. As always, thank you to Ben Cope for the use of our theme song. You can check out his YouTube channel in our show notes below. We're also on all of your favorite podcast aggregating platforms. So if you haven't followed or subscribed to us on one of those, you definitely should because we've got dead dogs and (laughs) cool morphs coming your way. If you use Apple Podcasts, we'd very much appreciate a five-star review. But if you don't use Apple Podcasts, that's okay because you're allowed to talk about us anywhere on the internet you would like. In the words of Margaret Peterson Haddock's, I'm going to dig my way out through the crap hole, <laughs> which is basically us every week on this podcast. Is that really a quote? Yeah. Yeah. Page oh 124. I'm going to dig my way out through the crap hole. Amazing. <laughs> Welcome back, literary slummers, to another episode of Shelf Aware. I'm Em. Oh, fuck. I messed it up. <laughs> I was like, here's the thing. That was faster. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I was going to say hate read and I didn't. And I was so proud of myself that I forgot the rest of the intro. (laughs) (laughs) Let's take it again. (laughs) From the top.